This Solar Speaks podcast is sponsored by Schlutter. Hello, my name is Stephen Bashong. I'm associate editor at Solar Power World. This is Solar Speaks. On the line today is Yuri Reznikov. He's vice president of product management at Sunlink. Thank you for being here today, Yuri. Thank you, Stephen. Maybe you could begin just by talking about uh, how the market for ground mount solar racking looks today. Is it bigger or smaller than recent years? Is there more competition or less? What's the layout? Um, the solar market has absolutely grown as a whole, um, and the ground market in particular um, has really kind of driven um, a lot of that overall piece. Um, the ground market is, is really split into two various components. One is kind of a fixed tilt uh, piece, and the other piece is the, is the tracking piece, with uh, the ratio of those about maybe 60-40 towards the, the tracking market as we now see. Um, I think the market uh, has really been driven in the past, especially kind of the large utility ground market has been driven by RPS requirements, uh, with utilities having to fulfill a certain percentage of their energy production with renewable energy. Um, and that's been the primarily uh, the reason for kind of these big ground mount utility scale projects. What we're seeing now is the significant cost drops in the ground mount market that solar has become so competitive with other forms of energy that whether RPS targets are there or not, utilities are still looking at solar as a viable um, energy source in their mix of new power production. And so whether in the past that's been driven primarily by RPS requirements, we're seeing that it's now RPS, but also just the viability and the cost of solar in general that continues to drive that market. Has there been any wavering in demand for ground mount systems? Not, not particularly. I mean, that's been a pretty strong segment um, for us with Sunlink. I think it's also been a pretty strong segment for the industry as a whole, where in the last couple of years, we've really seen some significant growth where now it basically the majority part of the solar industry where you look at residential, commercial, and roof mount, um, and then you see the ground mount space really taking a large piece of the, of the pie there. And, um, and I don't see necessarily that changing um, in the very near future, um, at least in the next couple of years until the ITC drops off. What you're seeing right now isn't impacted much by the RPS requirements. A lot of those, it seems, have been fulfilled already or met. Yeah, that, that's correct. That's correct. I mean, the, the, the theory a couple years ago was, look, we're going to see a bunch of big utility scale projects um, in order to fulfill these RPS requirements. And then we're going to see the shift to more of a distributed solar, small ground mount, and primarily commercial rooftop, as that is really uh, the more efficient way to install solar. Um, and what in fact has happened um, in the last couple of years is that that did not come to pass. Even as the RPS requirements have been fulfilled, we're still seeing pipelines and big utility scale projects or big ground mount projects still being put in place. So what are the key drivers in the market for ground mounts right now? Well, so the key market um, in the ground mount is uh, clearly cost. Uh, I mentioned this a second ago. Is If it's no longer the RPS that's driving some of these requirements or some of these projects, what is it? Well, it's clearly the fact that solar as a whole has gotten to be um, 
fairly inexpensive relative to other sources of energy that utilities and, and other folks uh, in the industry are just putting these projects in because they make sense from an energy perspective, not because of um, requirements or tax credits or uh, et cetera, although the investment tax credit has still a lot to do with it. Um, and so we're, we're going to see a lot of these big ground mounts uh, put in place um, in the next couple of years before 2017. Um, so that, that's one, um, is the cost and overall cost of solar kind of trembling down, uh, trending down. Um, the other one I just mentioned is the ITC. So in the next couple of years, um, until 2017, we're going to see a significant uh, increase in ground mount production because the costs are so low. Folks are trying to get ahead of 2017 to capture that 30% tax credit. So that's some uh, great background on the ground mount market, what's happening there. But uh, let's talk about the systems that are available briefly. What are what are some of the key differentiators among the different ground mount systems that are available? That's a, that's a great question. Um, there's a lot of systems um, on the market right now. Um, and at first glance, you can't tell a lot of differences. It's big ground mount systems. It's either two modules in portrait or four modules in landscape. But clearly, if, if you take a step back, um, there's quite a bit of differentiation between um, all these products. Um, number one, or, or I should say they really fall into two different categories. One is um, the overall cost. And when I say cost, I don't mean just the cost of the hardware, I mean the installation cost, and I actually mean the O&M cost through the lifetime of the project. Um, as the cost of solar keeps falling down, there's just pressure on everybody in the value chain to keep costs down. And so for in order to support our customers, we have to not only have the lowest hardware cost, but also the lowest installation cost and the lowest O&M cost. And, that, and that's true when we're talking about fixed-tailed or tracking products as well. So once we have that piece, um, then we really talk about um, lowering risk for our customers. Um, and, and that's really a big category. Um, our customers expect um, a product uh, that they can install um, that will last for the 25, 30, 40 years um, in the ground, and they want to take the minimal amount of risk during the project phase and during the lifetime of the, the project. Thanks, Yuri. A lot of what you just talked about was how companies differentiate themselves, um, but what yeah. about the, the products in particular? How are companies working to um, better their product offering, or are ground mount systems pretty much as good as they're ever going to get? Yeah, well, I, of course, we're, we're learning new things um, all the time. The industry, as I mentioned, is, is fairly young. And so the more installations we have, uh, the more knowledge we have, we work with more customers as an industry, and we absolutely have a lot of potential to improve products. There's a couple different ways from a product perspective uh, that we can improve. Um, number one is, um, as I mentioned, I think it really comes down to a lot of it is cost, especially for ground mount projects on the fixed tilt side. So uh, on that point, it's what is the hardware cost? Can you have the quality of the product at a cost that makes the project work? Then we get into the installation where you're really trying to save labor. So there is how do you minimize the number of components? Um, racking systems have 20 different components. Other racking systems have five different components. Well, if you have five different components, number one, you can optimize those components better. You can get them lower cost. You can improve the installation time. Um, the other point I'll say is on the installation is the methodology. 
So, for example, I'll use Sunlink as an example of, um, of a certain methodology for construction. Um, we um, work with our customers on a, on a pre-panelization aspect for our mounting system. That tends to work well with a lot of our customers where what we are able to do is mount modules on nodes separately, um, meaning either ahead of time, in a separate location, on site. At the same time, we're putting up the substructure in the field. So now we're able to have parallel construction. So if one part goes down or slows down, I should say, keeps working, we can put these modules together onto the rails in a controlled environment at waist height, and then we've developed jigs and stacking chocks to be able to transport these modules all over the site to be able to lift them up quickly and easily onto the racking itself. So not only can we have parallel construction, we can also lower the total time to install and lower of installation as well. So for the last question, I want to uh, ask about supply chains. Why are supply chains important? And, you know, we'll have a lot of contractors listen to this podcast. And so what questions should they be asking of their solar mounting suppliers about supply chains? You know, that's a great question. We don't necessarily, as an industry, I think, focus enough on supply chain. Um, and this is something where we spent a lot of work trying to optimize and get our supply chain to kind of be best in class. Um, and, and it's important for a couple of reasons. Number one is you want a quality product. Everybody wants a quality product. Um, and as costs have been cre- decreasing, it's very tempting for suppliers to basically cut corners on supply chain. Um, and I mean that from all kinds of different perspectives. Uh, just to give an example, um, when we choose to hot dip uh, a component, a metal piece, we want to make sure that there's enough uh, thickness of that zinc coating on there to last the 25, 30 years. No one really asks the question on how thick is that coating, uh, but we want to make sure that our products that are out in the field for 20, 30 years have that the right amount that they're going to last, they're corrosion resistant, the rest of it. So it, it's things like that from a quality perspective that you want to make sure that all the suppliers, whether companies are manufacturing internally, meaning themselves, or they're using um, contractors to do the manufacturing, there needs to be a complete oversight in terms of quality. And that's just one aspect of supply chain. When we talk of supply chain, it's also how are products getting delivered, how are they shipped, what is the lead time, where is the supply chain located, is it international, meaning is it in China and U.S.? If it's in China or somewhere internationally, how long does it take to get to my project site? If there's a problem somewhere, do you have a dual source supplier in close to my project in the U.S. that I can get components quickly? How do you mitigate risk with supply chain? Um, from that perspective. So lastly, to what are those questions? Um, and I'll just list a couple of them. But for example, how are products shipped and packaged? Do they come with a bunch of different pallets? What's the density of packaging? Do I have to get rid of a bunch of pallets? Do I have a bunch of garbage thrown on my site? Um, do I have, uh, do I have to, how big of a staging area do I need? Because many of these pieces will come um, on a bunch of pallets. How do you know when they're arriving? Um, how exact is the company when they say, well, look, your lead time is eight weeks. Can I count on the company to say, look, if I need it by February 2nd, it's going to get there on February 2nd. A lot of that is supply chain. Um, if it's plus or minus two days or if they say, hey, our supplier has some issues, it's going to be a week late. Well, that basically moves your entire project, your crew, all your scheduling out a week. That's a big deal. Um, shortages, overages, extras, all those things 
things get lost on a job site all the time, especially little nuts and bolts. So when you're working on a rack and you're trying to put modules on there and you can't complete a rack because you're missing a couple of nuts and bolts, that's a big problem. So make sure that the supplier provides the proper amount of overage to make sure that even if things get lost, which I think we all expect them to do, you can still finish that up. It's a lot of great information that contractors could use as they're making deals. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, what's what's happening at Sunlink right now? Uh, got any new products in the pipeline or? Yeah, that's a, of course I'm always happy to talk about uh, what we have going on. Um, the big news for us is um, we just uh, acquired a, a tracker. Um, this was a, a tracking program. We, we basically looked at the market and we said, look, fixed tilt is about, as I mentioned, about 40% of their overall ground market. We're seeing a lot of opportunity in the tracking space. Um, and our customers are asking us for a tracking product. So we basically acquired a company. It's Viasol Energy Solutions. They had a tracker. We believe it's the best-in-class tracker out on the market right now. And they needed some help scaling that product. So right now they're internal to us, we're getting them on board and we're going to go out to the market in a big way in the next month or two with a brand new tracking product. It's been installed, uh, the technology has been out there for about 75 megawatts running for the past five years. So this is a proven technology and a proven tracker and we're excited to bring it to market really in the next, in the next month or so. Well that's great news, Yuri. Thank you uh, so much for uh, spending some, some time with us today to share this information uh, with our audience. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen.